Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. The ringtail is a big-eyed, bushy-tailed relative of the raccoon. Their range extends from northern Mexico to southern Oregon, but you're not likely to see them. First of all, they're relatively rare. And second, they're reclusive critters, carnivores who are active during the night and spend their days resting in hollowed-out trees. A recent study from the Hoopa Valley Tribe and Oregon State University sheds some new light on ringtails' habitat and behavior. This research could inform the tribe's forest management practices. Sean Matthews is a wildlife ecologist with OSU's Institute for Natural Resources. He joins us with more details on ringtails and this new study. It's great to have you in the studio. Thanks for having me, Dave. Can you give us a sense for what ringtails look like? Sure, yeah. So ringtails are kind of like a, about the size of a squirrel. Um, they are likened, they kind of look like a cat, but a really small cat. Um, they have these giant eyes that you referred to because they're nocturnal. So they're out active at night. So they rely on those big eyes to kind of take in what limited light is out there at night. And they have these giant ears as well. Um, so they're, they're really adorable. Definitely encourage listeners to, to look them up. Um, but also they're they're really dark. Uh, their coat is really dark on the top, and then they have really lighter fur on underneath. And then really distinctively are these kind of alternating white and black bands on the tail that make them make them really striking. What are examples of their favorite habitat? I mentioned a pretty big swath of of Western North America where they they live. Not not up here, not not northwestern Oregon, but southern Oregon all the way down to to Mexico. So w- what are some of the places where they're happy to live? Yeah, they're pretty wide ranging, like you said. So in the desert Southwest, like in Mexico and like Arizona, New Mexico, Texas, they're, they're primarily in desert ecosystems. And so there they really rely on like rock piles and things like that to, to spend time in, hunt prey, um, avoid predators. But um, the north northern extent of their range in Southern Oregon, kind of on the Western side of Oregon, about just South of Grants Pass area, that's kind of the Northern extent. Uh, of their range and and very similar to where we studied ringtails in Northern California. And there they live in much different habitat. They live in in primarily forests um, that are dominated by Douglas fir trees that we all know and love here in Oregon, Um, but also forests that have uh, hardwood understory. So things like tan oak or uh, black oak that that we know here in Northern Oregon as well. Uh, Who are they competing with for food and and who sees them as food? Yeah, great question. So they they definitely live in a rich kind of carnivore community um, wherever they live. But in the Pacific Northwest, in Oregon and California, they uh, occupy space with things like gray foxes, with fisher, um, and meaning that they're, they're competing with foxes and fisher for what s- smaller critters. Absolutely, yeah. So they're competing for things. Ringtails will primarily eat things like mice and uh, small rats, wood rats, and things like that which these other carnivores are also competing for as well. They're also competing for space, too, in that ringtails live in, and part of the study that we did was they live in these hollowed-out trees, um, and other critters, like fishers, for example, also look for those spaces as well. Who are they hiding from? Yeah, they're hiding from all kinds of critters. Um, lots of things can eat a squirrel-sized animal, all the things from fisher, fox, um, 
coyote, bobcat, mountain lion, even owls uh, can can eat a ringtail. Huh. How I mean, you've described what seems like um, a good amount of ecological knowledge about this species. How well would you say they are known and understood already compared to some of the other animals you've just mentioned? Yeah, so we we don't know a lot about ringtails. Um, we get a lot of knowledge from traditional ecological knowledge from tribes that we work with, which is a, a huge source of information. Um, and Western science is slowly catching up to that knowledge. Um, but Ringtails are a species of conservation concern in Oregon and California, kind of at the state level. But federally, since they do have such a wide range, they aren't really a, a concern at the federal level, say, for threatened and endangered species status. So hence, there isn't really a lot of money going towards ringtails. But in the regions we work in, Northern California and Southern Oregon, many tribal communities are really interested in ringtails um, because they are seen as a relative and also serve as a source of of uh, regalia material for dances and other ceremonies that, that happen annually. So I want to turn to that partnership because it really does seem like one of, of a number of interesting aspects of this study. As I noted, it, it was spearheaded by the Hoopa Valley tribe, um, your study, and it took place on their lands. Why did they want to do this work? Yeah, so the Hoopa tribe is uh, really connected culturally to a lot of resources on on the reservation um, and their ancestral territory, and ringtail being one of those. But on the flip side, uh, the tribe is also a what's referred to as a timber tribe. So they rely on a timber-based economy, um, like many communities in Oregon and Northern California, rely on the extraction of timber, cutting of logs, and 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 selling of those logs um, for income for the tribe, as well as it's it's one of the uh, primary sources of income for individual tribal members, and so it's a, a pretty major economic driver for the reservation and for the tribe, and so they're trying to balance these these cultural desires and cultural interests and preserving species of cultural concern while also maintaining this timber-based economy. And just to underline, to make sure I understand this too, uh, based on what you'd said earlier, this is not a listed species federally, um, nor at the state level, although you said it's it's a species of conservation concern. So, so for the Hoopa tribe, their interest in this, it was not because they, they want to make sure that they are following Endangered Species Act prescriptions. It's timber harvests are necessary for our economic vitality right now, but we also want to make sure that we're not destroying the habitat of this animal that that is important to to our lives and our culture. That's exactly right. Yeah. So how did you go about doing the study? I mean, what what did you actually do for this study? Yeah. So we really wanted to find out where ringtails are hanging out. Like I said, they're nocturnal. And so they spend their days resting in areas in the desert southwest. It's usually in rock piles in, in northern California and southern Oregon. It's usually in trees. But we were curious to know what kind of trees that they're living in so that we can hand that information then off to tribal foresters. So when they're going out, mapping out where they want to cut trees, they have a sense for, for what they might want to save on the landscape. And so we used live traps to trap ringtails. And so we'd set those out at night, baited with a leg of chicken, and the ringtails would go in. We'd check those traps in the morning and then immobilize the ringtail and um, put a radio collar on them so that 
transmits a signal that we can then listen to with a receiver and antenna. Um, unlike playing music, it just plays a beep, and we listen for kind of the loudest beep as we turn the antenna around and hike to those the where the ringtail is is hanging out during the day. Hmm. Uh, I saw a picture of a ringtail with a, a radio collar on, hmm. uh, on on one of the articles about your study, and I, I have to say it, it's not a small radio collar. I, I, I mean, I don't know if, if it were the sort of the human equivalent, it would be a really chunky piece of hardware. Um, how do you know that, just that, that that intervention itself doesn't change their behavior? Yeah, absolutely. That's a big consideration in any study that we do. We really want to try and align the questions that we have with the least invasive method possible. And so that is something we think about and, and really try and address. There are benchmarks for, for instance, for a radio collar. We never want to add really anything, but a particular radio collar that weighs much more than 5% of the overall animal's body weight. And so we take that into consideration. Um, we can also look at other data, so data that is non-invasively collected to see um, do animals that have a radio collar on, uh, say, have lower survival rates than animals that don't. That's not something we did as part of this study, but it is something that other studies have considered and weigh. What did you find about where these Northern Californian ringtails wanted to spend their days. Yeah, we were not surprised to find that they do tend to hang out in older forests. So forests that have had a chance for uh, big trees to grow, the occasional storm coming in, knocking those, knocking limbs off of those trees, and fungus getting into those wounds of the tree, hollowing out a cavity that then the ringtail can use. What did surprise us, though, was that ringtails, at least on the Hoopa Reservation, did use some younger forests as well, forests that had been recently cut in the last 10, 15, 20 years for, for lumber. Um, we were kind of surprised by this, um, but it as we thought about it more, it really made sense in that the tribe is really pretty progressive as far as the number of trees they leave on the landscape, the number of standing dead trees they leave uh, following timber management. And so our, our suspicion is that there were enough of these trees, of older trees left on the landscape following a timber sale that ringtails were still able to make a living in those landscapes where in other systems where they're say harvesting more trees um, or not leaving some of those older trees, they, they just don't tend to exist exist in those um, forests anymore. So what kind of advice, I mean, this is just one study, and, and scientists I've talked to in the past are sometimes loath to, to make broad pronouncements based on, on one study, but nevertheless, I'll, with that as a preamble, I'll go on with my question. What advice, if any, did you give to, uh, to foresters um, in the tribe about, you know, to say like, if you, if you are gonna be, given that you are gonna be cutting trees down, if you want to think about the health of ringtail populations, this is what you should do. Yeah. So it, first and foremost, it was, it was pretty validating for the tribe to realize that you know, places where they had harvested uh, were still suitable for ringtails. Ringtails were still using those areas. And so it was, it was validating that some of their practices 
are still amenable to, to ringtails persisting. Um, we we're also able to, since we were hiking to individual trees, we could get a sense for what those trees look like, what species they were, how large they were, um, what types of cavities that the ringtails were using. So we were able to hand that information off to tribal foresters as well so that they can kind of go in with, with this gestalt of what, what does a ringtail, what is a ringtail really looking for? And as I'm going through and deciding, yes, we're going to cut that tree. No, we're going to save that tree because that looks like a ringtail tree because it's a, this species. It's about this size. It looks like it has some limbs that have broken off in the last five or 10 years. That might be a good ringtail tree. And might their management be that sort of tree specific that, that they would say, well, we actually we know based on this hollow and this species and this size, that looks like a good future ringtail home. So we are not going to cut this tree. I mean, is that the way this management could go? Very much so. Yeah. So they'll, they'll, look at a map and say, you know, we're going to harvest this this area, this patch of ground, say this in this watershed. But then individual foresters are going into those areas to, to really lay out a, a timber sale and say, you know, we're going to cut this tree, we're going to cut this tree, we're going to save this tree for these reasons. And we'll put the plastic tape around these, but not around these. Exactly. Huh. Um, what's next for you in terms of ringtail research? W- what are the other big questions that you're hoping to answer? Yeah, there are a lot of questions that we're still trying to get at, um, particularly related to one of your earlier questions, thinking about how ringtails are interacting with these other species. Obviously, they don't exist in a vacuum. And part of this, this study was looking specifically at how ringtail and fishers are interacting, fishers being also another species, uh, maybe a little bit higher uh, conservation concern than ringtails, um, but how fishers and ringtails might be interacting on the landscape. Some of our other research um, using other methods have also looked at at this interaction between ringtail and and fisher and how they might be interacting. And so we're really interested in some of those aspects of how these different species are interacting and then in what types of forests they're interacting in and are there types of forests that might exacerbate those interactions, negative interactions um, that might influence their overall persistence. We just have about a minute left, but is it too much of a leap to say that, that one of the reasons that ringtails might be doing all right is because that they're they're relatively generalist. That that they're a species that that can handle being in an, in an arid desert uh, and in a um, a more temperate forest. Yeah, they they do seem fairly adaptable for sure, and I think that's one thing we're just starting to understand is how adaptable they are. And so I think we, as we think about forest management, whether it be on the reservation or other landscapes, just need to be thoughtful about. I often use the adage, you know, how far can we bend it till it breaks, mm-hmm. and know where that that inflection point is. Sean Matthews, thanks very much. Thank you, Dave. Sean Matthews is a wildlife ecologist with Oregon State University's Institute for Natural Resources. Coming up after a short break, Oregon lawmakers are considering a bill right now that would create some of the country's most strict limits on the corporate ownership of medical clinics. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.